When I was in seventh grade, we were getting ready to go out and play football or dodgeball or something. We had just finished changing out of our school clothes, getting ready to head outside. And for whatever reason, I was the only one in the locker room for just a few minutes. I don't remember if I had forgotten something and had to go back in or if I was just the last one out. But as I was walking out, I looked down and on the floor, there was a wallet. I picked it up and I opened it. I knew that it belonged to a classmate of mine, one of my friends. And I was sitting there holding it and, and trying to decide, should I take it outside to him? Should I give it to a coach? Should I just try to figure out where his bag is and put it in there? When another one of my friends came back into the locker room and he saw me holding the wallet. And he said, whose is it? And I told him and he said, how much money is in there? I said, there's $40 in here. And he, he grabbed the wallet from my hand. He took the money out. He gave me a 20, and he took a 20. And he said, let's go outside. And so we went outside, and he took the wallet, and he threw it up onto the, the roof of the school. So I'm sitting there, and I'm holding $20 that is, is not mine. And, you know, I did not have the, the willpower. I didn't have the, the strength to stand up to my friend. I didn't have the courage to say, no, this is bad. We need to, to give this back to, to our, our friend, Doug. Thank you, brother. And so we went through, you know, the, the rest of the class, and we came back in, and we changed, and he realized his wallet was missing, so he went in, and he told the, the coach, and the coach came out and said, hey, he's looking for his wallet, it's missing, has anybody seen it? Be looking around, you know, if you've got it, turn it in, whatnot, and I didn't say anything. I did not say anything. I, I, again, I did not have the courage to stand up and say, hey, look, it was me and, and this guy, uh, we did it. Here's your money, your wallet's, you know, it's gone. You're not going to be able to get it, okay? And, and, and we, we, we took that money, and we kept, kept that money. And I've never been able to reconcile that. You ever been in that situation before? Where you know the right thing to do, and you don't do it? Surely I'm not alone. Come on, let me know I'm not alone, because, you know, you sort of feel like a, there's a couple of words I could use, but probably shouldn't in church. But you feel like that. Okay, I knew what the right thing to do was, yet I chose the opposite way. I knew what God's will was in that situation, even though there was no scripture. Do not steal Doug's wallet that you find on the gym floor, you know. But it was a, hey, that's not yours. You don't own it. You should not be stealing. But I did. I mean, essentially, that's what it boils down to. Even though I was debating on whether to do the right thing or not, ultimately, I ended up choosing not to do the right thing. I ended up choosing to do the, to do the wrong thing, and I was never able. Well, I was then, but I did not make it right, and I've not been able to make that right 20, 25 years later. You know, I still, I still think about that at, at times. Yeah, 26 later, years later, I've not been able to to fix that and, and make that right. It occurs to me that following God's will is not easy, right? Following God's will, doing what we know to be right, it's not a, a, an easy thing, and yet that's what we're going to talk about today. If you got your Bible, go ahead and open to Luke 22 and put a marker there, and then jump over to Matthew chapter 5, because that's where we're going to be as we continue on in this series in the... Uh, in the Beatitudes. And as you're turning there, let's just 
Think about something. You and I both know that the meaning of words changes over time, yes or no? Yeah, they change. And, and you know, some of them, you know, they, I don't understand them. They don't make sense to me. Some of them are kind of funny. Remember when bad used to just mean bad? Like not good, like things are happening that you don't want to happen? And you say, oh, man, that's bad. But then something happened where bad is good. Man, that's bad. You know, he's bad, which really means he's not bad. He's not a terrible player. He's not horrible. He's really, really good. He's so good, he's, he's bad. Remember that? You know what I'm talking about? It's confusing. We wonder why we say English is the hardest language for people to learn. It's because we do stuff like that. Or, or, or the word, remember when the word sick used to mean sick? Remember that? I used to get, I'm sick now, you can hear it. Okay, but sick is one of those words that too means good. I don't remember any time I have been sick and felt good about it. Anybody else? Okay, but to say something is sick, I mean, that's, that's to give approval to it. Man, that thing is sick. Did you see that car? Jeffrey's car is sick, you know? I mean, normally that would mean like your car is a lemon, man. You need to push that thing off a cliff. But no, the way the words change, it doesn't mean that. Sick is, is good. And then we make words up or we change it. You know, the, the phrase on fleek, I hadn't figured that one out yet. But I hope my sermon, I hope it, when we get done today, I hope, it, I hope you come up to me and say, hey, look, that sermon was bad. It was really sick. And really what I want to tell you is your sermon was on fleek. You know, if you say those things to me today, it'll be a compliment. Any other time, you can't say those to me. But today, you can tell me it was, it was, it was bad. But words, they have this way of, of changing meaning over time. And the word that we're going to talk about today has done that. And it's not, been a, it's not been a good change, okay? It's not bad, if you follow me, okay? It has not been a, a, a good change. And that word is meek or meekness when we hear the word meek what do we automatically or what do most people automatically equate the word with weakness we hear meek we think weak and i don't know why that is maybe because they rhyme i don't know uh, but we hear meek and automatically what people associate with with weak uh, with, with meekness is a a weak person you know it, it's this this someone that, that is easily put upon it's the 98-pound weakling that, that can't do anything. Now, then, no offense to anybody in here that weighs 98 pounds, but you, you understand what, I, what I'm saying. Not only that, you know, it, it's almost as if to call somebody meek can in some way be an insult because the way our words change, you know, you can refer to somebody as meek, and they say, wait a minute, what do you mean I'm meek? I'm, I, like I'm weak? Like I'm not, not strong enough to, to make a stand or to, to, to have a, to have a, a, a position? You see, in the, the church, we've accepted that change. We have accepted that this word meek, which is a really a, a very strong word, we have accepted that it means weak. We have accepted that, that it is an indecisive uh, doormat that the world despises. And a lot of times what we do is we, we elevate that 98-pound weakling to the role of, uh, of saints. Okay, we've allowed this change to take place so that it doesn't mean something else. It means weak. So that when you get to the beatitude that says, blessed are the meek, man, who wants that? 
Does anybody want to be referred to as weak? Just show hands. Nobody signing up for that one? Right, because that would be sick. <laughs> but like the real sick, not the fake sick, not the weird sick. Okay, nobody wants to be referred to as, as weak. Okay, and so if we don't grasp what Jesus is trying to say when he says blessed are the, are the meek, we can miss out on a tremendous blessing. And so that's why it's important that's why it's important to go back and study what the Word says. That's why it is important. Pay attention to me. Everybody, I'll put all eyes on me for just a minute. Then you can go back to whatever you're doing. Put all eyes on me. It is so very important to study the Word. Just taking it at face value, you can miss some things, right? We've seen this. That's what we did in our, our, our Twisted series. We have to dig. We have to, uh, we have to see what it says. Remember, Context is what? Context is key. I'm glad you remember that. You see, what we have to do is we have to get back into the Word and let Jesus define this Word, let Him define this Word for us. Because keeping it with an understanding of weakness, that's a hard blessing to want. Okay? Blessed are the, are, are the weak. And I don't, think that's what, I don't think that's what Jesus meant. So over the last couple of weeks, as we've been looking at these Beatitudes, you know, you start off with the first one there in verse 3, and it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And what we said is, you know, that, that's talking about recognizing the sin in our lives, recognizing that we can do nothing to affect our salvation, that we are completely dependent upon Jesus. The best place for us to be is at the end of the rope, just clinging to Jesus. He's our only hope. We can't do anything to save ourselves. And then last week we said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And again, it's like, well, why do we want to be, why do we want to be mourning? What's the, what's the purpose of that? But it's more than just being sad and, and being uh, grief-stricken. It's being sad and, and grief-stricken over the sin in our lives. Okay? It's, it's recognizing, yes, we are sinners, and that's why we are at the end of the rope and need Jesus. But there's more to it than just acknowledging sin. We have to be sorry for our sin, okay? Because as we said, it is completely possible to confess to being a sinner and not feel anything about it, right? It is completely possible to acknowledge that what I'm doing is wrong and not feel anything about it, okay? And so that's why Jesus says, blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn. And what we realize is they begin to build. It's as we, we said last week, that there's a, a, a sequence or an order to these Beatitudes. They're not just randomly thrown together statements. They build on one another. So that when Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, it's preparing you for the next level. Okay? You acknowledge your sin, okay, but there's more to acknowledge. There's more than just to acknowledge it. It's to feel your sin and feel that, okay, I, I need Jesus, I recognize what my sin has done and that it's separated me from God. It's hurt others. It's brought pain and grief and sorrow into people's lives. And now I must mourn that sin in my life. Well, then we come to, we come to the third one, and we'll be there in, in just a minute. But there's a, a, a pretty good way to think about the Beatitudes. And to just give you a, a, a visual image, you can sort of think of it as, as a mountain. Okay, and, and the first four... The first four Beatitudes, think of it as an ascent into or toward God or toward 
his presence. And then the second four, think of it as the descent back down into, into daily life. So if we're looking at the, the, the Beatitude Mount, we say blessed are the, the poor in spirit, okay, where we acknowledge our sin. Then we move to the next step. Blessed are those who mourn. And then we move on to the next step. Blessed are the meek. Okay, and that's where we are today. And we're continuing to, to, to climb toward the top, to ascend toward the, the presence of God when Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. But I'll tell you right up front, this is not an easy one. None of these are easy. I think we've seen that already. But this one is not easy, okay? It is not easy because this one has to do with surrendering our will. Is anybody particularly good at that? Good. I'm not either. None of us excel in surrendering our will, but yet that's what, what Jesus is calling us to. So if that's what it's going to be, we need to figure out what, what Jesus is talking about, to understand that he's not calling us to a life of weakness, but he's calling us to something much, much different. He says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit, they will inherit the earth. The message translates it like this. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves the proud owners of everything that can't be bought. When Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth, when he's talking about those that inherit the earth, he's talking about those that, that have peace, those who are, are, are content with who they are. They know who God created them to be. They are comfortable with who God created them to be, and they are comfortable being that person. They're comfortable living in that skin and in that lifestyle. They are comfortable with where they are in their life. It's how Paul wrote, and he said, you know what? I, I know what it means to have a lot, and I know what it means to have nothing. And I'm content either way. That's what it means. That's what it means to, to inherit the earth. And the people that inherit the earth are the meek. And so we're going to define that as we, as we move on through this. To, to inherit is to be content. It is to be, it is to be satisfied. Satisfied with what you have and, and who you are. It recognizes that I am a child of God. I am an image of bearer of God and that is where I draw my worth from and when we draw our worth from that that's how we can be content whether we have a lot or a little yes or no yes absolutely well we've got some we've got two really great examples of uh, of meekness uh, in the Bible uh, the first is, is is Moses of course and everybody knows the story of Moses even if you don't go to church everybody knows that story you know he's a Hebrew, and the Pharaoh's going to kill all the babies, so his mom puts him in the basket, floats him down the river. He ends up raised in the Pharaoh's palace, okay? He grows up raised, receiving an Egyptian education. He's going to be very smart, okay? He grows up in the palace, so he's going to grow up with, with, with wealth and all of these things. There's going to be nothing refused that is good for Moses, okay? Life is going to be very, very good. But we know that Moses has, has fits of anger. We see that happening a couple of times where he steps in and he intercedes on behalf of, of one of his fellow Hebrews who is being beat on by one of the Egyptian taskmasters. Okay, 
Moses doesn't handle it really the best way. He just straight up kills the guy and then buries him in the sand. When he's confronted about it, what does he do? He runs. Runs out into the wilderness and out into the desert. And it's here where Moses has to learn how to, how to be weak. I love this verse about Moses right here from the KJV. Uh, talks about the meekness of Moses from Numbers 12, 3. Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. There is in writing words about the meekness of Moses uh, composed by Moses. He might have the meekness thing nailed, but I'm not sure humility is his deal. Okay, he might struggle a little bit with humility, but he's got the meekness thing laid out. Okay, but evidently it's okay because God says it's okay. God left it in the Bible. Okay, so Moses is considered to be the most meek man on the face of the earth during this time, at least according to, to Moses, but God doesn't seem to dispute it. Okay, and so Moses is out there, you know, he's kind of been out in the wilderness after he's killed, uh, after he's killed this Egyptian. He's kind of just out there hanging out with the sheep. He's gotten married. One of them wanders off. You get into Exodus 3 and 4, and you have the burning bush encounter. He encounters the burning bush. God says, Moses, you know, take off your sandals where you are. It's holy ground. And it's there that Moses learns that he's going to be the deliverer. That he's going to deliver his people out of Egyptian bondage. God says, the cries of my people have come up before me, and I'm sending you to go and to, to talk to the Pharaoh. You go tell them that they are going to be released. You go tell the most powerful man in the world, let my people go. And Moses, you know, his response is like, yes, thank you, God. Wouldn't you? No. He doesn't want to do that job. Who wants to go to the most powerful man in the earth and start giving him orders? Okay, that it generally, historically, does not work out real well for the messenger. Okay, it just doesn't. God tells him, go. Moses says, I don't want to go. I don't want to do this. God says, go. Moses' response is, well, they won't believe me. And so God gives Moses some sort of supernatural signs so that when they happen, they will believe. And Moses says, no, 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 I, I'm not a good speaker. God says, I'll give you the words. I'll tell you what to say. Just go. Moses says, look, God, can't somebody else do this? God says, yes, you can take your brother, but just go. He says, I, I don't, I can't do this. God says, look, you tell them that I am sent you. Finally, he agrees. He goes. It's in that moment, it's in that moment where he submits to God's will. He's got no other excuse. He submits to the will of God, and he goes and he stands before the most powerful man in the world, and he says, let my people go. And God is with him all the way, and we know how the story goes. you got ten plagues that happen in the meantime, but eventually, by the time you get out of chapters like 13, 14, the Israelites are coming out of this, this Egyptian bondage. But it wasn't until Moses surrendered to God's will could he be used? Okay, it wasn't until Moses surrendered to the will of God that Moses could be referred to as the most meek man on the face of the earth. Does that make sense? Okay, that could not have been written unless he was under submission to the will of God. 
Now, that we already said following the will of God is not easy, right? Okay, have you ever not wanted to follow the will of God? Anybody? Yeah? Me? There have been times where I didn't want to follow. Here's the thing about that. It is not a sin to not want to do God's will. Okay, that's not a sin. It is a sin to choose not to do it. Does, it, does that make sense? Okay, God's will is not easy, right? We know it's not easy. Nobody really likes doing hard stuff. Some people do. But hard stuff, is, is I mean, it's hard. Okay, doing God's will is almost always hard. And there are times and there are things that God asks from us at times when we think, God, why? Why do I have to do that? Why do I have to love that person? Why do I have to go and minister there? Why can't I do that here? God, why did you choose me for this position? I don't have enough ability. I don't have enough education. I don't have enough words. I'm not smart enough. Why can't you send somebody else to do that? And all the excuses we make, they don't matter. God's saying, go. And all the, the answers that, that, that God gives to Moses, they basically all work for us too. I'm with you. I'm the I am. You have my backing. Just, just go. To not want to do the will of God, that is not the sin. But to choose not to do the will of God, that's, that's where the problem comes in. We see this in the, uh, we see this, this play out in the life of Jesus. Look at, uh, look at Luke 22. What do we know about Jesus? We know that Jesus was opinionated, yes or no? We know that Jesus would take a stand on things. We know that Jesus would not stand for the religious leaders putting a yoke on people's necks that they couldn't bear. We know that he would take them on face to face to the point where they tried to kill him on, on several different occasions. Jesus was no 98-pound weakling, right? Come on now. I'm going to say that one more time. I think you missed it. Jesus was no 98-pound weakling. But Jesus was meek. He was meek, but he was not weak. And we see that around the cross. In, in Luke 22, uh, just just hours before everything is really fixing to start happening. They've had the supper. They're now in the garden, Jesus and his disciples. And he knows what is coming. He knows it's not going to be long before he's arrested and he's tried and he's crucified. And he tells his disciples, I just want you to sit with me and pray. Just stay awake and pray. It says that he went a little further. Look at verse 42, or verse 41. Then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw. He knelt down and he prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus did not want to do it that way. You see that? God's will was you got to die on a cross for all the sins of mankind. Jesus is saying, hey, 
God, if there's another way to do this, you know, I'm open for options. If there's another way where this doesn't end up with me nailed to a cross, let's see if we can figure that out. I don't want to do it this way. I don't want to die. But it's not what I want. It's not my will. Your will be done. You see, Jesus didn't want to do God's will, but he chose to do God's will. Do you see that? That right there, my friends, that right there is meekness. That is meekness on display. Okay? What a tremendous example that is. And that, that's just one example. You flip over into the next chapter, chapter 23. And let's just, let's just start reading in verse 33. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right, one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing. Now then, see if you see the meekness of Jesus in these next verses. And the people stood by watching, but the leaders scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, as he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was an inscription over him that said, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged with him kept deriding him, saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. You see the meekness displayed on the cross most powerfully, more powerfully than anywhere else in the existence of the universe. You see it displayed most prominently, most powerfully by Jesus Christ on the cross. Okay? You've heard me say before, I struggle with spite, okay? That's an issue with me. Somebody tells me I'm going to do something, I'm just like, <laughs> that's what you think. Watch me not do that, okay? I'm just being honest. That's me, okay? Surely I'm not the only one. I, I know I'm not the only one. Let me just say that. Let me restate that. I've seen this before, okay? You know, I've been around you people long enough to know some of you now, and you know me. Okay, but there are times where I'm like, <laughs> you might think I'm going to do that, but I'm not going to do that. Oh, you going to challenge me? You watch. If I'm hanging on the cross and I have the power to call 10,000 angels, what do you think I'm going to do? You don't think I'm the son of God? You don't think I've got this power? Let me show you my power. That's what I would do. Thank God I'm not the Messiah. You hear what I'm saying? Chances are that's probably what you would do as well. Thank God you're not the Messiah. Jesus, though, who could have called 10,000 angels when they're railing at him, when they're stealing his clothes, when they're giving him sour wine, when they're saying, look, if you are the Son of God, prove it by coming down off the cross. He could have proved it. But then the rest of us would have no hope. He put meekness on display by staying on the cross. 
Meekness is anything but weakness. You see what I'm saying? That's what we have to tell people. When somebody calls somebody, you know, meek and lowly and gentle and soft, correct them. Say, wait a minute, lowly and gentle and soft might be right, but meek doesn't mean those things. Meekness means something else. You know, uh, the title of this message is, you see it up there, it's Wild Horses. And I'll explain that in a minute. But Friday, Jeffrey and Tommy and I were meeting at, at, at Grassroots, and I was talking to them about the sermon, kind of telling them where I was going with it, and told them the sermon title. And as I told them, it was Wild Horses. You know, the Rolling Stones' Wild Horses was playing on the loudspeaker at that time. And then really crazy, Garth Brooks' Wild Horses came right up next. I went one too far, didn't I? Yeah. That one didn't happen. But the other one did. You know, we're listening to it, Wild Horses by the Stones comes on. So that was, that was kind of a cool moment. I uh, thought about playing that song for you this morning. The idea of meekness goes back to horses. Wild horses. When you see, which we don't, but if we ever had the opportunity to see a horse running in the wild, an untamed horse, it is a beautiful and it is a powerful, majestic beast, is it not? Okay, how many of you have ever been around horses? Yeah, you know that is a powerful, that's a powerful animal. My dad has horses, okay? Bethany, you know, they had horses for years and years and years. I know some of you others have as well. You know that that is an incredibly powerful animal. Okay, and if you happen to be watching that Geo or whatever and you see you know, the Mustangs that are just sort of running wild and nobody can tame them. They are absolutely gorgeous. But guess what? They have no use to anybody because they're not tame. You know, they're doing their own thing. They have their own agenda. Their agenda is to be a wild horse, and a wild horse is going to run wild. Okay, it's not going to be used to help plow. It's not going to be used to help pull something. It's not going to be used domestically. Okay, so as far as those things go, it is useless. It has its agenda. It is to be wild. But when they would capture these horses and they would tame them, when they would break the horses with the, with the bit and the bridle and tame them, they would say that horse is meek. The definition of meekness is power or strength under control. That's what it means. When you see a horse that is on a bridle, that is being ridden, that is drawing a carriage, that is a horse that still has every bit of its strength and every bit of its power. But it's now focused. It's under control and it's able to be used. When Jesus says, blessed are the meek, he's talking about us. You see,
we have the we have the capacity to serve God. Yes or no? We have the capacity to serve God, but we don't often have the will. Does that make sense? Or God has his agenda, but a lot of times I have my agenda. Is that a little better? And as long as I have my agenda, and as long as you have your agenda, and not God's agenda, we are wild. We're not only wild, we're dangerous. And God, while he continues to love us and draw near to us, cannot use us. It is not until it is not until we allow God to reign in our lives. It is not until we become meek through through Jesus Christ. It is not until we say, "Okay, God, no longer my agenda, but your agenda. Not my will, but thy will be done." When we get to that point in our life, we are experiencing what it means to be meek. But you see, so many of us, we struggle with that. We struggle with that. Because we want to follow God. I mean, I know people, I know so many people that genuinely want to follow God, that love God. But they want to do it on their terms. You know what I'm talking about? Love God. Want God, but only want God on their terms. They set the terms with God. Which means they, and when I say they, it's really, it's incriminating because I'm included in that they. It means that, that they know God's will, but I'm not going to follow it. I'm going to love God. Can't I just go to church? Can't I sing? And yeah, I'll even give my money. But I'm still, I'm going to act the way I want to act. I'm going to do the things that I want to do, whether they line up with what God's will is or not. I'm still going to treat people bad. I'm still going to be a jerk. I'm still going to lie and cheat. I'm going to do whatever I've got to to make sure I get ahead. I still love God. I love God. I love Jesus. Jesus saved me. That's individual salvation. You know what? In America, we're the worst at that. We have individualized Christianity more than any nation in the world, and it will destroy us. All right? Now, there's a whole other sermon there, but I don't have time for it this morning. But hear what I just said. We have individualized faith so much that I don't have to be concerned about anybody else. We've individualized it so much that I don't have to be meek. But that's not what Jesus is saying. He says, if you want to be blessed, you've got to be meek. To be meek means not my will, but yours. To be meek means if I'm following your will, that means I have to love you, not just love me. Because it's easy to love me some me. All right? But it's not always easy for me to love me some you. You hear me? 
But if I'm going to be meek, that means that I have to love my neighbor as I love myself. That means I have to surrender my will to the will of God. That means that I have to trust God who knows me more intimately than I know myself. I have to trust His plan in His way more than I trust my own plan and my own abilities. That starts with being at the end of my rope, mourning over my sin. It's only then that am I prepared to be meek before God and to be used by God. Until then, I'm dangerous, I'm reckless, I'm wild, I'm useless. God still loves me, but He can't use me because I'm not broken seems like the right word there. But if I want to be content with who I am and what I have and where I am in my life, I have to be meek. I have to submit. I have to submit my will to God's will. And it's not easy. I told you this one's tough. Because this means we've got to get outside of ourselves. And what I find and what you already know is the closer you get from God, the closer you get to God, the further away from ourselves we have to step. Does that make sense? So here's the point. True satisfaction, blessing. True satisfaction is found under God's reign in our life. Does that make sense? Because it's in God's reign we're living the way that He wants us to live. Okay? We're living according to His will, not our own will. Okay? It's not the will of Jason, it's the will of God. Okay? When I'm following the will of God, that's where the true blessing comes. So, how are you following it? Okay, this was tough. As we trek up the mountain, this is a step a lot of people want to stumble with or will stumble with and want to turn around and go back down the mountain because this one gets us out of ourselves completely. So where are you? How are you following? Are you saying, not my will, Lord, but yours be done? Or are you saying, God, I do love you and I do want to be with you and I do want to serve you, but I'm going to do it when I want to do it and I'm going to do it how I do it. And I might love this person, but I'm not going to love that person. And I might love this particular group, but I'm going to hate that group. I'm going to serve, but it's only going to be in a limited context, maybe on a Sunday morning. And not my neighbors that I pass on the street that I see that are hurting and hungry and hopeless. How are you following God? Are you following Him through your will or through God's will. Hmm. Maybe maybe weakness is choosing our will over God's will. I don't know. I'm sort of working that out right here in front of you. But it seems like it takes more strength to follow the will of God than to follow my own will. So meekness is not weakness. Meekness is that power under control. We have to be like Jesus. That means when 
we encounter someone and they strike us, we don't strike back. We turn the other cheek. That means when people speak words of hatred and vitriol against us, we don't respond in turn by speaking hatred and evil against them. We speak love and we speak grace and mercy. That means when somebody sins against us, we don't just forgive them the one time or the two times or the three times. We forgive them as many times as it takes because that's what following Jesus is about. It is not my will, it is your will. So how are you How are you following Jesus? Are you okay to follow him, but follow him through your will? If you do, you'll never experience this blessing. You cannot experience this blessing. You can only experience it when you become meek and surrender yourself to God and come under his power, his reign in your life. If we can help you, if we can pray for you, Jeffrey's going to be down front. Don't go away following Jesus at an angle or on your own terms. Follow him according to his terms and experience his blessing. If we can help you, why don't you come while we stand and while we sing?